3 triple Z. 92.3 FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. And let me tell you, last night's 120th JNF anniversary virtual gala event was all about Jewish life and Jewish life in Israel. Hats off to JNF Australia. I thought it was an inspiring 120th JNF anniversary with a great lineup of inspiring guests. Israel President Isaac Herzog, no stranger to the Australian Jewish community, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, Treasurer of Australia Josh Frydenberg, JNF Australia CEO Dan Springer, former Israel Ambassador to the United States Ron Dermer, who was interviewed by former Israel Ambassador to Mexico, El Salvador and Australia, Jonathan Pellet. They were sensational. I can't tell you how much I was impressed with Ambassador Derma, as I was with the next guest, Israeli actress, writer, producer and activist Noah Tishby. Sensational. Loved her, love her work, love her activism. Closing out the gala was talented comedian Elon Gold, followed by the Ramat Hanegev schoolchildren singing Hatikva. Very moving, the children of the new Israeli Chalutzim. I can tell you that registrations for the event exceeded last year's with an estimated 6,000 blessed viewers. I'm told that the event will be sent out to all those who registered. I'm not quite sure when it will be available publicly for everyone to check out and to support the JNF's great work. All right, enough with the intro. It's over to Murray Frankel with his guest, Michelle Bloom. You're tuned into Lachaim, two live Jewish life and more on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. Stick around. Michelle Bloom is a seasoned commercial senior executive with expertise in leadership, culture, talent, and organizational transformation. She has worked with Australia's largest organizations in developing and delivering solutions to assess and build value-driven leaders and cultures. Her work has supported organizations to evolve their approach to risk management including assessing and developing the intangible aspects of ethics, psychology and political systems in order to decrease an organisation's systemic risk. This enables organisations to minimise their intangible risks, creating competitive advantage and ensuring reputation, brand and market value. Michelle Bloom is the Ethics Centre's Director of Call the focus of our chat today. Michelle, welcome to Lachayim. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Maureen. Delighted to be here. Perhaps you could begin by giving our audience a brief general history of the Ethics Centre and what services it offers to the community before we go on to discuss the ethical aspect in more detail. Absolutely. So the Ethics Centre is a not-for-profit organisation uh, that has been in existence for 30 years. So it, people may have known it as the St. James Ethics Centre, so we rebranded a number of years ago. So our purpose is really to bring ethics to the centre of everyday life. So how we do that is in a number of ways. So we have a number of public programs that um, we've set up and um, are involved in 
in developing and the ongoing implementation, such as primary ethics, which is an alternative to scripture in primary schools in New South Wales. Um, we also run a number of um, sort of publicly available events like the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. So we've had to pause that, obviously, because of COVID, um, but our plan is to, to, to run that again next year. Uh, we also run things like IQ debates. So people may remember Stan Grant's famous speech on racism. So that was at one of our events, for example. So there are publicly available events that we do. And we also um, do a lot of, you know, sort of thought leadership in that space. So Simon's quite active. Simon Longstaff, our director, is very active in um, talking about things like, you know, vaccination and employee, you know, and employees and employers responsibilities and obligations in regards to vaccination and returning to work. Um, but the, the part of the organisation I run is um, the consulting and leadership services. And so we work with corporations to really uh, embed their ethical capital. So their ethical capital being, you know, how aligned they live culturally, their, their purpose, values and principles, and how do they create social value for the communities and the stakeholders in which they operate and um, how do they lead through complexity? Because let's face it, the, the environment in which um, organisations are operating is increasingly complex mm -hmm. and leaders, you know, really need to, to make good ethical sound decisions in that complexity. So we, so we build that capability. Um, and then also I have the great privilege of running Ethical, which is a free service, uh, which is what we're here to talk about today, yes. free service to everyone globally. Uh, most of our um, people who use the service come from Australia, but uh, we have calls from overseas quite regularly. And it's a free service to help people, you know, really work through a dilemma, an ethical dilemma or a decision they're trying to make where they feel stuck where two values are, are, are clashing and it's not clear about the road ahead. So what we do is uh, provide a free one-hour counselling service with a counsellor one-on-one to help people really work through that and find the best solution for themselves. It's a tremendous concept. Can you tell me what was it that interested you in the EFI call concept? So I began my career working in psychiatry and mental health and so obviously that had a basis in, you know, sort of psychology and those types of concepts. And I thought that had great value, but there was a, a kind of piece missing for people who were stuck with a decision and it wasn't necessarily a mental health issue, but it was a, a kind of a values clash or a decision where there was, you know, there was no right way of making a decision around this and what was something that could help people navigate that space. And for me, ethics is really about living a meaningful life. So how do I, uh, you know, have enough self-awareness about what I value and make decisions in alignment with those values and what I think is important? And so, so what I saw, you know, in mental health was people really struggling with purpose and, and understanding their values and making good decisions based on those, those kinds of concepts. So ethical really fills that gap. And that's what really interests me and excited me was it's, it's a philosophical counseling service, which is quite a different offering and a gap in the market from a psychological 
uh, counselling service. And, yes. and, and both are great, but both have very different kind of underpinnings and, you know, ways of helping people work through where they're stuck. Mm. I believe you've got about 20 counsellors uh, operating there. What are the qualifications that you look for when putting a person on? So we did an expression of interest towards the end of last year, um, primarily to the primary ethics teachers um, who are also volunteers. And what we look for in terms of people who applied to become an ethical counsellor was things like, you know, life experience. So people who have come across, you know, and had, you know, many different experiences, you know, from travelling to dealing with different cultures to, you know, had children and, and, and worked in different places and different contexts. Because primarily one of the, the key capabilities we look for in a counsellor is that non-judgmental mm-hmm. position. Yes. So people can come to us from any walk of life, any religion, any, any sort of worldviews, and we accept everybody. So we, we're not in the business of judging uh, so that's a really critical skill. Another skill is we, we don't give advice, which is um, requires us to listen very well. And so that's another skill. And that's actually where most of our counsellors fall down is that they want to give advice. Yeah, they rule me out, I can tell you that. <laughs> so, it's, um, so we look for people who can listen well and reflect back what mm. they've heard. Yeah. Um, and the ethical counselling process is a very structured process. It follows a series of questions. It works through a number of philosophical lenses to explore the issue from different perspectives. Um, so we look for people who can, you know, sort of listen well, reflect back well, and, you know, ask questions that, that really, you know, support someone to, to, to explore their dilemma from, you know, new ways and, and, and new perspectives. So, um, that's a really key capability. And then when they go through our training process, so they have some training initially in uh, philosophy to understand, um, you know, the basis of the approach and the basis of the questions that we ask in the process. Uh, then we have some rigorous face-to-face sort of development in terms of actually running the process mm-hmm. and and experiencing that. And then people have to uh, do a number of, you know, sort of uh, mock calls, if you like, to show that they're capable of executing on the on the, the ethical process. So it's quite an extensive um, commitment for someone to, to from both sides in order to, uh, you know, be qualified to, to be one of our callers. So it involves a number of different elements and and where we have quite a high standard in terms of uh, the, the counsellors who to get through. Um, so we're delighted we've got 11 new counsellors now. Mm. So we've been able to increase our capacity, um, you know, to, to meet the demand. We've, we've had a massive increase in demand um, over... Uh, the last sort of three to four months, as you can imagine, yes, with, yes. you know, a lot of Australia in lockdown and a lot of, mm. you know, sort of people feeling stuck and having decision paralysis given the the complexities of, you know, all the, the you know, the different decisions we need to make now. I'm interested to know if you can envisage a problem for which there isn't a choice of solutions. Oh, look, I think, I think it, it's... You know, the, the, the beauty of the ethical service is it's really about helping, you know, that caller find the best solution for them and their circumstance. So, so what we're not in the business of is, you know, 
helping people, you know, with our advice around what they what would they think, you know, they should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a call. I'm a counsellor myself, and I had a call last week, and and the, the caller was asking me, so what do you think I should do? <laughs> and it's like that's not. That's not, you know, what we do. What we do is we help people find the best answer for them. So so often, you know, uh, people don't get to an absolute decision by the end of the call, but they've certainly got next steps and they certainly, you know, have pro- progressed their thinking in terms of what they need to do next. So so I don't know if there is a, there is a you know, a situation where there isn't a solution, but I think what Ethical does is helps people find the best solution for them. Mm. I believe that uh, a number of companies and industry associations promote Ethicall to their employees and members. Yes. Uh, and I, I imagine that as we're approaching the end of lockdowns, hopefully, uh, there are calls from employers yeah, about making vaccination a condition of employment in their businesses and yes. indeed also from employees being asked to vaccinate as a condition of employment. Yeah. This raises the issue of trying to balance public safety versus personal freedom. Yes. Is part of your role to point out misconceptions around vaccinations that may be held by the caller? And how do you present this information without appearing to promote one aspect of the problem? Uh, so part of the ethical process is really about uh, checking in around laws and codes and statutes and things like that. So that's mm. a key part of the process. So, um, you know, have people got the right information and are they from sources that are trusted sources? So, so that's part of the questioning. So people, you know, are encouraged to go and explore those aspects. Um, uh, which they may not have had prior to the call. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is we do is we challenge assumptions. So people often assume information um, and it's not until you have time to, to to kind of step out and reflect and somebody ask you a question about the assumptions you're making and have you checked that out and, you know, have you asked that person or have you, you know, actually explored that, that people recognise that their their biases come in. Mm. And and so what we do is really kind of you know challenge the bias when we when we when we hear it and part of the process is about sort of unlocking that bias. So um, so that's a key step in the process uh, about doing that. So what we won't do is offer a, a view on mm. that, but we'll certainly ask the questions for the caller to 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 really get clear and explore those kind of biases and legal aspects often to to their dilemma. Mm. I believe the Ethics Centre relies on donations to provide all of its services. So I recommend interested listeners log on to the Centre's website if you wish to support its work. That address is ethics.org.au. Michelle Bloom, Director of Ethicall at the Ethics Centre, many thanks for joining us on Lachayan and providing an insight into the valuable service you and your co-counsellors offer the community, particularly during such a difficult time for many people. Very much appreciated. Great. Thanks, Maury. Thanks for having me.
Singer, and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. Agence France Press reports Iran urged the International Atomic Energy Agency on Tuesday to condemn a sabotage attack in June on a nuclear facility west of Tehran that it has blamed on Israel.
At the time, it did not identify the nature of the attack, with state television saying only that saboteurs failed to carry out their plan. On Sunday, Iran's Atomic Agency Chief Mohammad Eslami said the UN watchdog and Western powers had failed to condemn the terrorist act that severely damaged the site, blaming what he called the occupation regime in Jerusalem. An Iranian foreign ministry spokesman suggested on Monday the talks with world powers regarding the 2015 deal on Tehran's nuclear program could resume early next month. Deutsche Presse Agentur reports Iran's nuclear chief called on Monday for the immediate completion of the Iraq heavy water reactor for producing the plutonium needed for a bomb. Monday saw Iran's embassy in Cyprus use the word baseless to describe Israel's claim that Tehran was behind a plot to kill Israeli businessmen living there following last week's arrest in Nicosia of a gunman from Azerbaijan with a Russian passport while in possession of a gun and a silencer. Police reportedly acted on intelligence received from Israel. Channel 12 Television reported Monday that police had not ruled out any motive, while the Israel Public Broadcasting Corporation said the attempt and earlier attacks on Israeli diplomatic targets were a response to last year's assassination of Mohsen Fakhri Sadeh, the head of Tehran's nuclear program. Channel 13 Television said it could have been intended as a reaction to a recent Mossad intelligence agency operation revealed on Monday by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett to gather information about Air Force navigator Ron Arad, who was captured after being shot down over Lebanon in 1986 and was last heard from in 1988. The London-based Arabic news outlet Rai al-Yaum reported Tuesday afternoon that as part of the operation, an Iranian general in Syria was captured and transferred to an unnamed African country where he was interrogated and released. While the Prime Minister's office called the operation a success, Channel 12 reports Mossad chief David Barnea called the operation a failure during an agency meeting, pledging continued efforts. Security officials were divided on Bennett's disclosure of the mission. Azerbaijan's foreign minister used the words totally baseless on Monday to describe Iran's claims last week of an Israeli military presence there, ahead of Iranian military drills near the border between the two countries. A foreign ministry statement said it has not been presented with evidence of any third party in the border area. Former Knesset member Hanin Zawabi and 12 others tied to the hostile Arab Balad party, including senior officials, were convicted Monday under a plea bargain on forgery and fraud offenses related to financial irregularities in the party between 2013 and 2016. As part of the deal, the officials are expected to receive sentences ranging from community service to suspended prison time and fines ranging from 25,000 to 75,000 shekels or about 7,700 to $23,000. Arud Sheva reports two Arabs have been spared jail time under a plea bargain this week for wounding a rabbi and a yeshiva director last April in Jaffa. Each defendant faces months of community service. The father of Yehuda Gueta, who was murdered in a shooting last May at the Tapuak Junction in Samaria, asked for the death penalty during Monday's sentencing hearing for his son's convicted killer. The father also demanded the deportation of the terrorist's family. United Nations security personnel stopped Israeli Ambassador Gilad Erdan on Monday from bringing a poster into the General Assembly which showed a social media post glorifying Hitler by a teacher from the UN Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA. Erdan had meant to display the post as an illustration of anti-Israel incitement in UNRWA schools. A UN spokesperson explained to the Jerusalem Post that UN protocol prevents ambassadors from using props when delivering speeches, while heads of state are allowed to. Countering claims by UNRWA Commissioner General Philippe Lazzarini that any textbook passages that praise violence, whatever the context, are knocked out, and that criticism of the agency is political, Erdan said, textbooks used in UNRWA schools have glorified terrorists, called Jews Satan's helpers, and display maps that erase Israel. He called for the agency to be held accountable and said he will continue to fight for the truth. 
This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. In 1941, I arrived in the United States unable to speak a word of English, which in those days was quite a handicap. And I, I tried to learn it, and I got along as time and a half went by, and I picked up a couple of words here and there. Mostly there because I hadn't been here yet. And I found that people who speak English sometimes fail to understand each other to perfection, and that is because they neglect to use punctuation mark when they speak. And that is why I have invented the phonetic punctuation, which means that while we speak, we will integrate punctuation marks by adding sounds to them so that we can underline our sentences when we speak as well as we do when we don't. (laughs) I'll teach you how to use the system. It is very simple. A period sounds like this. A dash. An exclamation point is a vertical dash with a period underneath. A comma. Quotation are two commas. Or if you happen to be left-handed, <laughs> question mark is rather difficult. <laughs> Finally, the colon. That's all. I'm going to read a short story to you so you can hear how this system sounds when it is being used in kind of a hurry. I have chosen a story by Shakespeare, which is in this book, and I shall just find it. Shakespeare. Shakespeare, C under S. A. Seafood. Oh, sea footnote. I'm sorry. Please, for further information, see above. In the open window, there suddenly came light. Beautiful Edinor sat alone, dreaming of but one thing. Two years had passed. Since she met Sir Henry. She could still remember the unhappy evening when her father had thrown him out. They had been sitting in the park, and Henry had said, Darling, is this the first time you have loved? She had answered, Yes. But it is so wonderful. And I hope it will not be the last. It's getting a little messy here. <laughs> Suddenly she heard a well-known sound. It was he. In two strides he was near her. Embraced, kissed and caressed her. What is love? And he answered, Well, I 
couldn't live without. She asked. I'm sorry. Where have all your thoughts been this while? And he answered, with thee, my maiden. <laughs> Suddenly he was gone. All she hoid heard was the well-known sound of his departing horse. For an unforgettable experience, explore Israel with Effie. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Effie Yacobi, Shalom Aleichem. Welcome back to Lechaim. Looking forward to another tour. Hi, Bokal Tov Moshe, to you and all the listeners from Effie here in Eretz Israel on this great, cool day straight after Sukkot. Wonderful. Terrific. Effie, we often talk about the latest archaeological discoveries in Israel and they're coming thick and fast. There was a quite a, an unusual one, a, a smelly one, a 22,700-year-old smelly discovery. Well, first of all, 2,700 years of discovery, but guaranteed there was no smell involved here. <laughs> Anything that would have been there is fossilized and fossilized don't have a smell. Right. But it was a fantastic discovery because it was still part of the complex that they'd already discovered and is undergoing excavations, which was a very prominent villa depicting the lives of the people there in Judea, 2,700 years old. And if you remember, they had these massive capitals that they found and uh, produced and, and photographed and had it on exhibition, which meant this was a huge complex of some extremely wealthy person that they even believe may have been connected to the monarchs, to the kings of Judea. And sure, they found a toilet seat. And we always poo-poo it away, excuse the pun, and uh, say, well, you know, what were the dietary habits and uh, so forth of ancient civilizations? Well, there was hygiene even in those days. Now, obviously, not everyone could afford that. Uh, only the big boys could afford that. And in the city of David, they've discovered, uh, you know, a toilet seat as well. But this was really well chiseled, high, what can I say? Preserved. Oh, but an extremely skilled artisan that produced it out of a solid rock. But a great discovery, proving again a presence of people during the Judea kingdom at that time. So phenomenal discovery, phenomenal. So was this an actual toilet or just a toilet seat? First of all, they only had a toilet seat and there was a hole in the center and underneath yeah, yeah. was some form of receptacle made out of ceramics, right? a large urn or jar to catch the waste and then dump the waste into your neighbor's property. Well, not your neighbor's property, but down the road in the Judean desert. Wherever. So it's probably outside the uh, perimeter of the house. <laughs> yeah, wherever. Oh. And uh, the property was meant to have a spectacular view. Imagine that sitting sitting on your throne and having a and having a look at what was going on around you. You can't get that today. What do you got? A two-by-two two room. <laughs> this guy had the whole vista look overlooking Jerusalem. Wow, yeah. that is something awesome. Absolutely, in the old city of David. Effie, did you uh, get up to the Semach commemoration? Semach, which was a, an important railway junction at the time of the Ottoman Empire, 
uh, part of the Hajj Railway, uh, you know, linking uh, the coast, Egypt, towards Aqaba and Aqaba down to uh, Mecca. But terrific day, really. Uh, well attended at the actual memorial. We had well over 150 people, wow. including military attaches of Canada, India, uh, Australia, obviously, and America, um, and Paul Griffiths, ambassador of Australia to Israel with the guest speaker. Uh, very well done, very touching. And uh, the proof of the pie is that people turn up to these things. You know, I mean, Semach is in Tel Aviv and it's not Ranana, you have to schlep out. But it was a whole day and it was the culmination of day activities, both at the Kangaroo Park, a barbecue at Naharaim, the Island of Peace. And then, of course, the actual uh, ceremony itself, which went for about three quarters of an hour to an hour. Um, very well done and uh, directed as well. Terrific. Did you get to meet our delightful guest um, last week from the ZFA? And Moriah Ben David already yep. doing really great work. Uh, successful Shlichut in Melbourne with Nao Kiva, now continuing her work with ZFA. Uh, she's a little powerhouse, uh, a lot like Sarit, uh, you know, pushing forward her agenda. Um, but it was a delight to meet up with her, and I've already scheduled a meeting with her in Yerushalayim to see how um, I can help her in any way, uh, promote her activities here in Eretz Yisrael. I'm sure you'll have her online as well sometime down the road. Sure, terrific. All right, where are you taking us? Right, okay, guys, let's go explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. We were in Elat last week, you recall. We were just outside Elat in the uh, mountainous region. And today we're actually in Elat and we're heading to the Coral Beach Nature Reserve, which is just south of the city of Elat. Best season year-round, obviously. The length of the visit, anywhere from one hour to a whole day. Now, because it's a nature reserve, uh, there is a small entrance fee, but worth every penny of it because you've got access to outdoor recreation, the beach, swimming, scuba diving, showers, picnic sites, souvenir shop, snack bar, restaurant, toilets, accessible rating, very high. So let's go see what this place holds for those who want to pop into this place. Israel is situated between two quite different seacoasts, the Mediterranean Sea and the Gulf of Eilat, Aqaba. The latter is a branch of the Red Sea, which in itself is an extension of the Indian Ocean. There's no stream that runs into the Gulf of Elat. Its only water link is with the Indian Ocean itself. Thus, the Gulf is a sort of dead end. Whatever is scattered in the Indian Ocean is concentrated in the Gulf. Whoever goes underwater diving in the clear waters of the Gulf cannot be totally impressed by the abundant marine life in all its colors, forms, and beauty. The Gulf of Elat is long, narrow, and deep. The distance from the Tiran Islands at the entrance to the Red Sea to Elat is 160 k's. It doesn't surpass 24 kilometers in width and reaches a maximum depth of 1,850 meters. Now, four countries share its coastline. Saudi Arabia, can, uh, controlling the longest stretch of the coast to the north, Jordan has only several dozen kilometers of shore. Egypt controls the entire western seaboard. And Israel only has 11 Ks belonging to us. Israel's short Red Sea coastline has been allocated by the state among a number of land sea uses. A municipal beach, hotel beaches, civilian port, a military port, an oil terminal, and a smidgen of coast that has been declared a nature reserve. All in that 11 Ks. It, it is stunning. Because the Gulf of Elat receives very little organic material from external sources, there is very little marine vegetation. 
the main element that makes up its living content is coral, a form of animal life found on the seafloor. Through its extended branches, the coral collects and thrives on every bit of organic material that comes its way. An entire subset of animal life from different species feed off the coral formations. These, in turn, are good for fish and the other creatures, and these, in turn, are a nourishment for a fourth sea group, mainly sharks, and, of course, us at the top of the food chain, the humans. All these active forms of marine life are dependent for their existence of the basic element in the sea chain, namely the coral. The area of Israel's limited Red Sea coast is set aside for a nature reserve. The reserve is situated along the Elat Taba Highway, only 1.2 kilometers long, and extends up to 20 meters from the shoreline. Along this section, the seafloor descends very sharply, like a suspended wall to a depth of four meters, and it is upon this wall-like embankment that the coral colony develops. Really, you only have to go 20 meters, and you look down, and you've got this awesome, magnificent beauty staring you in the face. The reef extends into the sea from the skeletal remains of the dead coral. This reef is full of coral colonies. Beyond the reef, the sea is deep and the principal life forms are fish. Until Israel developed its southern port of Elat, the entire coast was full of wildlife. Because the Israeli coast had to serve a number of functions for the state, it was difficult to preserve all the wildlife in a concentrated area of a nature reserve. But the reservers attempted to preserve the majority of marine species found in the Red Sea. All scuba divers, and even those snorkeling along the surface, are absolutely astounded by the rich forms and colors of the fish, probably among the best marine area of coral in the world. Not like you've got to schlep out 80 k's off the coast to get to the coral reef in Australia. Here, guys, you just walk in five meters, seven meters, look down, and you can see it all. Some species live in schools, while others are solitary swimmers. Some loiter on the seabed and appear disguised as rocks, right? Or even look like sand, while others swim slowly, displaying their colors or declaring that they are poisonous, like the lionfish. And that is wise to maintain one's distance from them. So, guys, the assets here, this marine reserve is simply a must-see attraction if you're down in that area. Worldwide, people rock up to see it. There's also the Swim with the Dolphin, which is another little area right next to it as well. But you can't get better than this, obviously. Hotels are bound. Rooms are bound for every budget. So, guys, you're in LA. Do yourselves a favor. Don't miss out. You've got everybody. You don't need the car to go down there. There's a bus that takes you straight from the hotel to the reserve. So you don't have to uh, compete for parking areas. Absolutely stunning. So that's all for me for this week from Exploring Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. So till next week, guys, take care. All the best. Shalom, shalom. And you can catch a plane down there from uh, Tel Aviv down there, you know, on Arkea. Uh, yes, the airport's no longer in a lot. That's closed. It'll be redeveloped. And you've got a 20 k's from there at the Ramon International Airport. So no big deal. And then there's taxis, shuttles, buses, and away you go. Fantastic place to visit. You must yes, see. It. Thanks, Epi. Okay. All right. All we'll catch you next week. Stunning as always. Stunning as always. See you. Bye, guys.
Another stunning tool from our radio tour guide extraordinaire, Effie Yacobi. I've lost count of how many times I've been to Israel, always spending the time with my close family and friends. I have yet to be to Ilat. It is definitely on the list for the next trip. Okay, I would like to dedicate the next segment with Justin Amler and the song after it to the ABC's head of investigative journalism, John Lyons. I would also like someone to please tell me that the ABC is not Israel-phobic. You're tuned into L'Chaim, Two Life, Jewish Life and More on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. Let's have a listen to Justin Amler. Anti-Semitic terrorist thug and dictator of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, spoke recently at the UN demanding that Israel withdraw to the pre-1967 boundaries within one year or else face the consequences. So how should we respond to these demands? For far too long, far too many people have given legitimacy to this terrorist entity. And the terrorist entity is what it is. For the Palestinian Authority is nothing more and a bunch of kleptomaniac, brutal, murdering thugs who have poisoned their people with their lies, their inciting rhetoric, their fictional narratives that have no bearing on any truths at all, completely devoid of reality. From the very first moment their children opened their eyes to the world, they are nurtured not with love, but with hate. They are taught that to murder the Jew is the highest honor for which money will flow like waterfalls, and a special place in heaven is reserved. They name town squares and schools after people who have committed bloody murder on innocent men, women and children, the highest honours reserved for those who have murdered the most. And it's not just naming honours that are bestowed upon them, but financial rewards too, so that each person who murders the innocent will know, with confidence, they and their families will be well rewarded, courtesy of all those who contribute money to this despotic regime. They hand out candy in the streets whenever terror attacks occur, celebrating it like it's the 4th of July. They steal Jewish land, building illegal settlements funded by the European unions and other international players. And yet, despite all the evil and horror they unleash against the Jewish people, their biggest crimes are actually against their own people, for they deny them the most basic of freedoms, like that of freedom of expression that most people in democracies enjoy, jailing and torturing those who speak negatively against them. They purposely and meticulously destroy the future of those they rule, not just in this generation, the generations that have come before and the generations yet to come. They do not give the people hope but hopelessness. They do not give the people love but hate. And they do not build a future but destroy one instead. Now the world, to their great shame, want to give their so-called leaders legitimacy and authority. They believe their false narratives and their fairy tale stories of a historic peaceful country called Palestine that once existed until the evil Jews arrived and ripped it away. But like everything else they say, it's a lie, a fabrication, a fairy tale born out from absolute hatred. It continues to boggle the mind how any person has even the slightest knowledge of history or smallest strand of morality can even begin to support their cause. And yet they do, which says a lot about those who support them. The name Palestine itself doesn't have any historical Arab or Muslim connections to it at all. In fact, the name came into being in the year 135 CE when the Romans renamed the area of Judea to Syria Palestina after the Bar Kokhba Jewish revolt was put down. It's important to note that the reason they did this was to attempt to wipe out the identity of Israel, Judah, Judea 
to try and rid the land of its rightful Jewish heritage. And today, almost 2,000 years later, the very same attempted destruction of history is being done by much of the Arab world, the United Nations, the EU, the BDS group, and an entire collection of diverse groups, whose only common denominator is that they are against existence of Israel. But, of course, according to them, it's not anti-Semitic. In fact, the entire narrative of Palestine is one of the biggest frauds perpetrated of the 20th century, one that continues today, because the naive world is clouded by the continued prejudice against Jewish people. For there was no independent country or entity called Palestine. It simply didn't exist. It is a myth. And while there was a general area that can't be known as Palestine, it was an area without any borders, but rather a general area whose boundaries shifted like the desert sand, depending who had dominion over it at the time. It's a reason the United Nations had to create a complete separate category of refugees for the Palestinians, meaning they only had to have lived there for two years prior to the creation of the State of Israel, because they simply didn't fit the definition of what a refugee is. Unfortunately, with supporters in the US Congress like Ilan Omar and Rashid Talib and all the far too many apologists for terrorists, this fraudulent fairy tale continues. And add to that the many American Jews in particular, but also around the world, who do not understand their own Jewish history, preferring to sell it on the altar of social justice so that they can throw their lot in with the social justice warriors who ultimately will not respect them, but mock them instead. While people often say you can't live in the past, it's also important to not forget it either, because the past is not something to be locked away and dismissed, but rather something to be learned from, as is often a guide for the future. And we must remember there was the Arabs who called themselves Palestinian under the leadership of the Jerusalem Grand Mufti, Amin al-Husseini, the de facto leader of the Arabs, who worked with Hitler and was a close ally to implement the genocide of the Jewish people. It was he who wanted to replicate that genocide against the Jews in Israel. It was he who launched the murderous pogroms against the Jews in Jerusalem, in Hebron and all over Israel prior to the formation of the Jewish state. It was under his influence that every single peace deal was rejected by the Arabs was accepted by the Jews. And today, many years later, we still see some Arabs launch Nazi flags on the Gaza border and in Judea and Samaria. And they do this because to them, the Nazis were not their enemies, but their allies. They have consistently sided with the wrong side throughout history. They sided with the Nazis, they sided with Saddam Hussein, they sided with Gaddafi. And they never once sought so-called nationhood when the Arabs were occupying the Jewish lands of Israel in Judea and Samaria and in Jerusalem, despite every opportunity to do so. And the reason is simple. It's more important to them to eliminate every Jew in Israel than to have their own state. And for this, they should be rewarded with their own state? So when Mahmoud Abbas demands anything from Israel these days, he should be rejected outright, not only for his denial of history, but his invention of it too. This is Justin Amler for Lechaim to Life.
Israel if you think that's just. But unless you have a double standard, you must also boycott the rest of the nations with allegations of human rights violations. We're not perfect, but if you think we're the worst, first take a look at the rest of the earth. Don't pick and choose to pick on the Jews. Pick up the paper and read the news. Boycott North Korea. I don't think you'll see a country in the world that could be unfreer. Boycott China. Let's not forget they stole the whole country of Tibet. Boycott Japan. Slaughtering thousands of helpless innocent whales and dolphins. Boycott Vietnam where they choose to use drug addicts and slaves to shell cashews. Boycott Cambodia. Grabbing up land five million acres from the poor man's hand. Boycott Thailand for shutting the door and deporting refugees back to the war. Boycott Burma. Don't let your cash slip into the grip of that military dictatorship. Boycott India. Women can't escape when the government officials are guilty of rape. Boycott Pakistan. Crazy country where they execute people for blasphemy. And boycott Afghanistan. Opium land where the poppy fields stand in the Taliban's hand. And boycott Israel if you think that's just. But unless you have a double standard, you must also boycott the rest of the nations where allegations of human rights violations were not perfect. But if you think we're the worst, first take a look at the rest of the earth. Don't pick and choose to pick on the Jews. Pick up the paper and read the news. Boycott Syria, their government's killing thousands of innocent, unarmed civilians. Boycott Iraq, make them change the laws. They lock up and torture people without cause boycott Iran with the greatest rate of execution out of every other state boycott Turkey because they've always denied and lied about the Armenian genocide boycott Turkmenistan where the only media that you ever see is what the president of media boycott Uzbekistan government's rotten enslaving children to harvest cotton boycott Russia because every year more Muslims mysteriously disappear boycott Ukraine where the politicians lock up the opposition so there's no competition. Boycott Belarus, presidents gotta go. You know those elections are just for show. And boycott Germany cause there's no reparation for murdering half the Jewish population. And boycott Israel if you think that's just. But unless you have a double standard, you must also boycott the rest of the nations with allegations of human rights violations. We're not perfect, but if you think we're the worst, first take a look at the rest of the earth. Don't pick and choose to pick on the Jews. Pick up the paper and read the news. Boycott Sudan, the Darfur genocide, where hundreds of thousands have already died. Boycott Egypt, and don't let that narrow-minded president keep acting like Pharaoh. Boycott Saudi Arabian oppression, the women getting beat up, treated like possessions. Boycott Bahrain, police brutality against the Shiites by the Sunni monarchy. Boycott Yemen, make them stop the obscene execution of juveniles under 18. Boycott Eritrea, national slavery, where they work for free indefinitely. Boycott the Congo, doing terrible things to sell blood, diamond, engagement rings. Boycott Zimbabwe, you find all kinds of 
torture behind those government minds. A boycott South Africa, make them pay for the hundreds of women raped every day. Boycott Ivory Coast, sound the alarm. There's thousands of slaves on those cocoa farms. And boycott Israel, if you think that's just. But unless you have a double standard, you must also boycott the rest of the nations where allegations of human rights violations were not perfect. But if you think we're the worst, first take a look at the rest of the earth. Don't pick and choose to pick on the Jews. Pick up the paper and read the news. Boycott Chile because they deny abortions. Even if the mother would die and boycott Brazil where the brutal police kill thousands of people to keep the peace. Boycott Venezuela. Closer inspection shows that the socialists stole the election. Boycott Colombia. Putting out the lights of anyone who fights for union rights. A boycott Ecuador for stealing the lands of indigenous people for their corporate plans. And boycott Costa Rica where they've applied so much pesticide that hundreds have died. Boycott Honduras where a journalist gets shot if he writes anything like this. Boycott Mexico in the war on drugs. The military acts like the cartel thugs. Boycott the USA make them pay for torturing people in Guantanamo Bay. And boycott Cuba. But if the government hears you criticize them, you'll be locked up for years. Boycott Israel if you think that's just. But unless you have a double standard, you must also boycott the rest of the nations where allegations the human rights violations were not perfect. But if you think we're the worst, first take a look at the rest of the earth. Don't pick and choose to pick on the Jews. Pick up the paper and read the news. Now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Shari shines a light on COVID. Lions under fire for lobby claims. List Hamas in its entirety. Community farewells Gladys. Nazi memorabilia auction slammed. Students slur Israel. Bennett and Derma star at the JNF Gala. Israel steps up search for a rud. Iran behind Cyprus plot targeting Israelis. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Have you heard the news? Before we go, I should mention that the Australian Jewish Association's weekly Zoom started up again tonight after all the Chagim with another excellent guest, Itmar Marcus, with his Palestinian Media Watch. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. 
Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lachaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Mori Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. Now, as my father's Yorzeit last Saturday, we lost Robin, Riemann in Yiddish, 44 years ago when he had a drimmel on a Sunday afternoon, not waking up. I reached his age this year, and I still wish we were setting up his stall 5 a.m. Saturday morning at the Victoria Market. Every time I listen to our exit track, I think of Riemann Klein, my Tata, and that's what I called him, Tata. So thank you for tuning in, and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai, and peace. Bye, Abba. Oh, shomer aleinu. Oh, ohev otanu. Oh, Abba, shel kulam. Bamil Shomer aleinu banistarut kam shomitanu Abba sheli hu melech haolam Abba 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 melech haolam melech 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 Abba shel kulam shuv shuv
Shuvah, shuvah, tassalei, akhraki lecha, oh, boreh, oh, 